listeners, welcome to another episode of Outstanding in a Field. It's the Science and Environment podcast from the Standard Examiner. I'm Leah Larson. And I'm Benjamin Zach. In this episode, we are going to explore some pretty controversial territory. Yeah, this is a, a battle for public lands and trying to find space for both a native and non-native species here in the West. Yep. Today, we're exploring the conflicts between the sage grouse and the wild horse herds uh, that we have here in Utah and throughout the West. And so to tell this story, we went on a long journey to try and find both in the field far out in the West Desert of Utah. Here on some Bureau of Land Management land near Skull Valley and the old tracks of the Pony Express, the Onakue, wait, Onakui? <laughs> Did I just practice saying Onakui. O-N-A-Q-U-I. Yes, the Onakui Wild Horse Management Area and the Sheep Rock Mountain Sage Grouse Lex intersect. Our guide for this trip was a professor. I'm, I'm Terry Mesmer and I'm an Extension Wildlife Specialist and Professor at Utah State University. Mesmer studies all kinds of wildlife, but has a reputation for being one of Utah's top sage-grouse experts. Which means these days he's also heavily involved in the wild horse issue. We piled into Terry's truck and went for a log drive out to the Onaqui while he gave us some background on wild horses and their impact on the range. It, it may be the single most important issue facing public land management in the West. Wow. I thought of the proverb, for want of a nail. You know, the thing is, is for want of a nail, a shoe was lost for want of a shoe. Um, a, a horse was lost for want of a horse. A rider was lost for want of a rider. A battle was lost for want of a, a battle. A kingdom was lost. And so it, it, it kind of this the snowballing effect of, of, you know, because you make one decision thinking that that decision is, is the right decision, well, there are consequences of that decision. I have personally never heard that proverb before, but Terry Mesmer is kind of a well of trivia. Mm-hmm. And speaking of trivia. Speaking of trivia. So we wanted to jump in here before we get too deep into this story with one of our true-false sessions. That so, we did a little earlier, so yes. let's get to that. Some people have seen horses only in the movies, but even the old westerns give some idea of the important role that horses have played in human history. In America, horses helped settlers open up new land, and they helped Indians defend their land from settlers. Okay, for one of our true-false sessions that we like to do, we have a guest with us, Ben Dorger. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> ben, uh, what do you do for the Standard Examiner? I'm a photographer and videographer here. And how long have you been here? Uh, coming up on a year. I started last October. All right. Well, thank you for Happy submitting yourself to, thank you. Thank you. to our, uh, our true-false extravaganza. Okay, so the topic is... Wild horses. Ooh, wild horses. Mm -hmm. All right. And sage grouse. And sage grouse. Okay. True or false, Ben Dorger? Horses are native to North America. I would say false. They're not native to North America. They were brought over here by the Europeans. Wow. Yes, it was a trick question, but you are not wrong. Um, Yes, horses were once native to North America, but they went extinct about 10,000 years ago. And then they were reintroduced by European explorers, like you said, around 500 years ago. 
Cool. All right, Ben, Zach, want to take the next one? All right. Our other animal. Sage grouse are native to North America. True or false? False. Wrong. True. They are. They are native. Bummer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. True or false? Sage grouse are endangered. True. That is also false, uh, but they came very close. They came very almost. close. Okay. The Obama administration decided not to list them in 2015 to the relief of many ranchers and state land managers. The birds, how, however, um, have lost about half of their natural habitat in the West. They like the sagebrush. That's why they're called sage grass. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Now I'm, I'm getting a better idea All right. here. Okay. Cool. Follow up. Wild horses are also on the decline. True or false? I think that's true. That's also false. false. Oh, no, I'm doing bad. <laughs> I'm losing a lot of respect for you here. <laughs> Darn. Uh, actually, wild horses are, are doing pretty well. Their populations double every four years, which is causing some conflict. Uh, well, that's good. Yes. yes. Guess what you'll hear about in this podcast. <laughs> okay. And last one, true or false, Ben Dorger, there are now more than 100,000 wild horses in the West. I would say True. False. False. Oh, man. (laughs) Sorry, Ben. Um, The latest figures put them at around 83,000, but they are fast approaching that 100,000 figure. So if you come back in like a year or two, that'll be true. It might be true. true. Okay, good. We'll ask you the same question. Or if you play this episode in a couple of years, you can. Okay. If you're listening like a year from now. Yeah. Got it. Well, thanks, Ben Dorner. That's it? That's, That's all? It. Uh, I did pretty bad. Yeah, we had a big prize for you. But <laughs> it was a whole wild horse. Who <laughs> would get a wild horse? Darn. Well. <laughs> Maybe next year. It's actually surprisingly easy to get, so if you want one. Yeah. All right. All, all right. right. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. All horses aren't lucky enough to have someone to take care of them. These herds of wild mustangs live on their own without any human assistance. But they are in danger. What threatens them? And will they be able to survive? Let's jump back into the field with Terry. When we started talking with Terry, he got right into some of the controversy and the big questions surrounding horses. There is nothing he shied around. Nobody wants to slaughter horses. We, we don't like to do that. I mean, but 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 what are what are what's the alternative? You know, I mean, we euthanize almost two million companion animals a year: dogs, cats. We slaughter nine billion livestock: chickens, turkeys, a year, and so. Where do horses fit into this thing? Okay, listeners, when Terry mentioned slaughtering horses just now, what was your reaction? Were you disgusted? Were you outraged? Were you appalled? For a little bit of background, wild horses in the United States are pretty unique. They aren't managed by state wildlife agencies. They're managed by the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management. BLM was given this management authority with the Wild and Free Roaming Horses and Burrows Act of 1971. And at the same time, horses also aren't native, despite seeming like this intrinsic icon of the West. On the Onaqui um, Wild Horse Management Area, BLM currently estimates a population of 450 wild horses, but they are, uh, according to the that act we mentioned from 1971, 
the levels that they're supposed to be at uh, is like between 121 and 210 horses. And wild horses tend to double their population every four years. So what are we supposed to do with all these horses crowding the range? Well, this isn't just a problem on the Onoqui or in Utah. It's a problem for much of the rangeland in the West. These non-native horses are destroying habitat used by native animals like the sage-grouse. And they are also competition for livestock. The problem you have is that you have a horse management area that's defined. Uh -huh. And guess what? Horses can't read maps. <laughs> they can't. And, and there's actually an interesting study in there out of Wyoming where they put, they're starting to put GPS transmitters uh. on horses. And they're finding that a lot of these horses are spending a lot of time on private land and where there's water, where there might be better food. And so they move a lot. And so even though you've got this designated boundary, they're moving. We're going to go to an area called the Government Creek Lick. And the Government Creek Lick is, is part of the Anakue. And uh, it, uh, it's poor habitat for sage-grouse. It's really poor habitat. And it's going to even look worse this year because of uh, the drought. Mm. You know, a lot of cheatgrass and stuff. and. Uh, Cheatgrass, if you don't know, is another non-native species that's having a big impact on rangeland out in the West. It's not native, and when it's it not nutritious for animals gets either. into areas, it sort of takes over, outcompetes a lot of the native grass and shrub. Um, also, really changes the way that fire works in these ecosystems. And yeah, it dries out really fast and really early. Mm -hmm. Drives a lot of wildfires, including the ones we've seen in the on the range this year and yeah. in years past. Um, so slaughtering horses has pretty much been off the table since 1988 because wild horse advocacy groups are so thoroughly against the practice. Um, and the last horse slaughterhouses in the U.S. closed in 2007. Instead, what the BLM is doing is they round them up, take them to holding facilities, and try to get them adopted. But that's not working anymore. Surprisingly, when they first started the adoptions, they were they adopted quite a few and there's been about 330 40,000 adopted but we've reached a saturation point of all those that were going to adopt horses did and so if they adopt 2000 a year they're probably lucky now BLM has also been temporarily sterilizing the horses with a vaccine called PZP um, but the BLM says it's expensive, and it's an expensive program to administer. They shoot horses with little darts, and they need to do it every year or so because it wears off. And ironically, PZP is extracted from slaughtered pigs. Um, they proposed, uh, BLM has proposed permanent sterilization of the horses, like spaying the females, for example, like what you would do to your cat or dog. But horse advocates don't really like that idea either. Yeah, some of them say it takes the spirit out of the animal, plus no one is monitoring their health after the surgery. Terry went into a little more detail about the uh, other options BLM is looking at to manage horse herds. There are four options they've identified. The first option is kind of go back to euthanasia, unrestricted sale. The second option involves uh, massive use of PCP and fertility control. The third option involves uh, sterilization and then adoption incentive 
to combine and the last option is, is basically all sterilization massive sterilization but all of these will take even the shortest option would take eight years to reach AML but eight years I just said that the population can double in four years and so you know it's kind of like this thing about I know this I know Rome was but Nero was nowhere near Rome when it was burning but you hear the thing about you know Nero fiddled while Rome was burning and that's kind of the scenario that this solution is going to have consequences the longer we take to implement a solution the more impacts we're going to have on the rangeland do they have any natural predators i mean will a cougar take a horse no that's the other problem there's been a lot of talk especially this year about um using cougars as a natural tool to manage herd sizes you may have read about it in like outside magazine or the new york times but Terry Messmer is pretty skeptical that that would even work. Um, first, the cougar's range would need to overlap with the horse's range. Second, cougars are stock and ambush animals, and horses are pretty big and strong and fast, and they have these things called hooves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so the cougars would have to specialize in taking their babies, basically. Um, and cougars like have other things that they would prefer to eat and that are in these areas, such as mule deer, that are easier prey. So it seems pretty unlikely that they're going to start specializing in horses. Right. The issue is just really, you know, and, 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 and who's right? Well, I think everybody's right. I think everybody has a, a stake in this. And, 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 and Congress is, uh, the original act, when it was written, allowed for sale, unrestricted sale, and also allowed for euthanasia of healthy animals. It no longer does. At the moment, we're stuck with rounding up horses and taking them to holding facilities. But even then, that has proven controversial. There was one roundup earlier this month, in August, and it raised the ire of Wild Horse Campaign. BLM officers at these some of these roundups pursue the horses with helicopter. In this case, that startled the animals and caused them to run into a barbed wire fence. They stampeded away from their foals. Um, as a side note, though, BLM said the horses um, that got stuck in those barbed fences didn't have any observed serious injuries. Um, they also tried to mark the fences so the horses would see them. It costs uh, $48,000 to keep a wild horse corralled for life as well. That's taxpayer money. Mm -hmm. We've got around 50,000 wild horses in those holding facilities right now. You know, the, the, the problem with the, the 50,000 horses that we've got in holding facilities is that when you look at adoptions, people like younger horses. They like horses that are medium size, medium to small, and they like they like the uh, the paints. You know, and so there's there's clearly preferences, and so when you start looking at the horses that are left, it's the big ones, the older ones. You know, the ones that are not as cute, if you will. And so they're ultimately destined to live their entire life in a holding facility, which in some cases might be, you know, a, a, a few acres. And that's what they, their whole life they spend in that few acres, you know. And it costs about, oh, about four or five bucks a day. It costs you about four or five bucks a day. 
you know, to uh, to do that. And if the public wants to do that, that's fine. But I, but I really don't think most of the public knows anything about this issue. If they're not native, where did all these wild horses come from? Well. <laughs> Tell me, Leah. <laughs> Around 10 million years ago, um, there were more than 10 species of horses that lived in North America. Um, some were big, some were small, although they were all smaller than modern horses. And they even spread to other continents, including Eurasia and South America. Then, about 10,000 years ago, the horses in the Americas went extinct. The likely culprits for their disappearance were a changing climate and humans who probably hunted them for food. Mm -hmm. um, horses came back again uh, around 500 years ago uh, when European conquistadors and settlers brought the animals with them. Some of them escaped, some were turned loose, and they formed feral herds. Hmm. Uh, more recently, ranchers used to shoot them to reduce competition with their cattle and sheep. And federal agencies like the early U.S. Forest Service were charged to remove animals from public lands. And by remove, uh, often meant they got shot. As domestic animals like cats and dogs became popular after World War II, the horses were often captured and used for pet food. And a market developed for the Mustangers who chased and captured the animals. Yeah, Mustanging was not a good thing. I don't know, there's a movie, if you ever are really, really bored some night, <laughs> you want to watch a movie called The Misfits. And it stars Marilyn Monroe, and it stars, uh, uh, who's the guy from Gone with the Wind? The, the actor again, I forgot his name, the, the man. Uh, Clark Gable. Clark Gable, yes. Yeah. I need something. <laughs> Yay! And so it's about a down on your luck cowboy, Clark Gable, who uh, is making money Mustanging. And so what they did Mustanging is they would chase the horses and they would have a lariat and the lariat would be tied to a big tractor tire in the, uh, in the back of the pickup. And so when the lariat would go around the horse, it would feed out. And when it, it stretched, it would pull the tractor tire off the truck and the horse would topple. So not, not a good way to, to face reality. <laughs> and so anyway, but that's what people would do in Mustang. They would, they would and, and in that case, they could catch horses, they could sell to a slaughter plant, they could sell to some other ranchers, but it was a way of making some money. Honey, I just round them up and sell them to the dealer, always have. And there's no need to look at me that way. Now you're looking at me like I was a stranger. Honey. I thought they were used for riding or for... Well, sure, they used to be. Well, like Christmas presents for kids because they're small horses, you see. Kids love them for Christmas. But kids ride motor scooters now. Real strong horses, though. Little as they are, they used to breed to them for stamina. Why? There was Mustang blood pulling all the plows in the West. They couldn't have settled here unless somebody caught Mustang for them. Somehow or other, it all got changed around. See, I'm doing the same thing I always did. It's just that they changed it around. But you know what you're doing isn't right, don't you? You know that. Honey, if I didn't do it, somebody else would. I don't care about the others. You've bought food for my dog, haven't you? What did you think was in those cans? I don't want to hear it. Honey, nothing can live unless something dies. Oh, stop. 
Uh, ben, I was just telling you, I watched the part of the Misfits where they did the Mustang, and it was pretty awful. It was horrible to watch, actually. They, they filmed actual Mustanging, I guess? Uh, yeah, this was de- like 1961, I think the movie came out. Before like the animal cruelty things in Hollywood, and there's a horse dragging a, a tractor tire and they just wear it out and wear it out and wear it out until it just like topples over and it is sad. Yeah. Um, well, it wasn't just Hollywood <laughs> that yeah. was upset about. Yeah, people were pretty put off by what was happening to these horses in real life. And particularly, there is a woman, Velma Braun Johnson, or Wild Horse Annie. Wild Horse Annie said, we got to stop this. So 59, she got a, a senator from, uh, a congressman from uh, Nevada to sponsor the Wild Horse Annie Bill, which basically prohibited mustanging, chasing, harassing horses and, and stuff, but it didn't manage them. And it wasn't until 1971 where she also orchestrated a campaign and got a bunch of school kids to write letters to Congress and and then they passed it unanimously, and it was Richard Nixon signed it, and so, but that gave BLM the management authority to actually manage wild horses. Which leaves us where we are today. Yeah, as we mentioned before, the 1971 Act set appropriate management levels for the different wild horse and burrow units, including the Onoqui, but horse populations have far exceeded those levels. That's creating clashes with the native animals uh, that also call the range home, specifically the sage grouse. It's really a matter of the habitat. Um, the same things that sage grouse desire, horses eat. You know, the forbs and the grasses in the early spring, uh, areas where the riparian areas, where what they do with when the chicks hatch sage grouse tend to seek out these riparian areas and uh, horses love riparian areas and so that's where really the conflict comes in i mean it you know horses don't eat sagebrush well they, they in the winter they probably will i mean there are some sagebrushes that that are somewhat palatable but but basically the a lot of the damage comes with the density of horses the destruction of the soil the habitat and, and changing the entire vegetation from desirable grasses and forbs to annuals. And then when you start doing that, you also get fire. After the Ice Age, the sage-grass were able to live on this environment where there weren't horses, but there were lots of bison. How were those two able to survive together? You know, bison are different than horses, but they're very heavy grazers as well. We asked Terry about this. Bison were herd animals, okay, and so bison would go through an area, hit the grass, and they would move on, they would move on. By putting a lot of pressure on grass, if you overgraze areas, one of the things that tends to happen is you tend to get species that are less resilient to grazing. In some cases, sagebrush, which is cool. So. Early on, when we didn't have cheatgrass moved into this country, and you would have bison moving through and they would be overgrazing areas, it would stimulate the production of sagebrush, sagebrush growth, which is good for sage growth. 
Now, if that would happen where you'd have these herds moving through it, it would be replaced by cheatgrass. I feel like we should explain what a sagegrass is since we've talked about it for so long. <laughs> sagegrass are often kind of compared to chickens, but as I learned on this field trip, they are nothing like chickens because they can fly very far. But they're about chicken size and they have some amazing mating rituals. Um, and we have some audio actually that Terry provided for us. Um, so you can listen to the male kind of making his whooping sound. Attracting females out on the leks. Doing his graceful little dance. Uh, they have like these big bulges under their, In their necks, and like necks air sacs. Fill up and Make sound like they're sound. popping, kind of. Mm hmm. And these, these cool spiky tail feathers. Sagegrass are also under a lot of pressure because of habitat loss, and they were on the verge of being listed as an endangered species. You're probably wondering, as we were, if horses are destroying sagegrass habitat. Aren't the hundreds of cattle that also graze the same rangeland? So we put that question to Terry. You know, I mean, horses and, 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 and uh, cows eat similar diets. Horses tend to have a little bit more roughage because they're hind gut. But they, they tend to consume a lot more and they don't process it. They consume in bulk and they, they process bulk, bulk. And so, uh, uh, where livestock, they're, they're, they have a cecum which gets vegetation in and then it ferments and they chew their cud and so they, they maximize you know, what they're going to be able to get out of it where a matter of horses, what you're doing is you're putting a lot more into a horse and, and it's getting stuff out of it. You know, they're, they're a lot more roughage and so it's taking a lot more and so the impact is is quite a bit more and so I had no idea yeah the, the, you know the conflict is grass you know all flesh is grass ultimately and um, and so when you start reducing the capability of the land to produce the desirable grasses forbs cover and you impact it by trampling and breaking up the soil, destroying the soil structure, you you impact the potential of it to to produce desirable plants, but then also it in some cases it might be irreversible. Do you worry though, you know you talked about wanting to reach out to the public and educate them on this issue, but do you worry people are gonna find horses a little more charismatic than sage grouse? Yeah, yeah, and, and why? I mean, why, why, why do horses have such a a special place in in human psychic? You know, I mean, we talked about euthanasia. We talked about cats and dogs and hamsters and all that. And I mean, everybody likes a puppy, right? Mm -hmm. But when you start thinking about horses, is it a matter of that? You know, when we look at manifest destiny, if you will, the settling of the West. Horses were such a big part in the survival of, the, of our Native American tribes, of, of manifest destiny, and, and so you have an animal that, that is powerful, strong, and, and, and much more strong than a human, but humans have been able to tame it and harness it, 
and put a bridle in its mouth and, and ride it. And so it's this kind of unique trust thing. Uh, Terry is particularly concerned about this sage-grass population that overlaps with the Onaqui. Um, he's had around 30 students that um, have helped him study sage-grass, and a few years ago they found several new leks in the area. And I'll jump in here. A lek, L-E-K, is kind of a mating grounds for sage-grass where they, large groups of them congregate in one semi-open area. In 2006, um, one of his students counted 180 males on a lek uh, in this area. And jumping in once more, uh, scientists who study sage grouse tend to count populations by counting the males, just because the birds hide so well, the males are easier to see and count on these leks, and then you can get a larger estimate about if there's this many males, there's this many females. There's usually like two or three females per male, so they can make an estimate. Anyway, so his, his student who found this lek, uh, they figured, you know, that, wow, they're doing really well out there. But then in the last few years, they noticed the, their numbers started to decline. And Terry thinks it was uh, largely due to a predator, um, the fox, which likes to eat their eggs and is also not native to the area. Um, they're also concerned about some land use treatments. There are federal programs that are paying landowners to treat sagebrush. So these projects are being done and eliminate the habitat. Because uh, sagegrass need the sagebrush. Um, so in 2015, uh, Terry and his students only counted 23 males. With Terry Mesmer's help, they did some habitat restoration in the area, and they also brought in new birds from other leks to boost the population. He and his students uh, put radio collars and GPS trackers on the birds to keep an eye on their movements. We know 24-7 where those suckers are. And so, uh, so we can see these things, but then the other thing was, wait a minute, we got a low population, you know, sheep rocks. To get out there, you really got to pack a lunch. I mean, we don't think there's any connectivity with any other sage grouse populations in the West. It's, it's an island. Mm -hmm. And why is it an island? Well, because you got something called Salt Lake City and the Salt Lake Valley. And all of this used to be connected and used to be sagebrush, sage grouse habitat. That's gone. It's probably not going to come back, you know, and you can just look, you know, the development that's ongoing. Uh, this is why the sage grass almost were listed as endangered because they've lost so much of their habitat, mostly due to human development and fragmentation of, of their historical range. At one point, 500,000 square miles of sagebrush stretched across America. And now only about half remains. Terry says there are probably about half a million birds on about half of the habitat that they used to cover. Um, he figures before there may have been roughly around two to three million birds before, but it's hard to know for sure. Other estimates in the news you might have read put it around like 60 million, but he thinks that's an overshoot. How long does a sagebrush usually live? We have some birds we've had radio colored and replaced the collars that have lived six years, and then the collars died. So you could maybe six to eight. And that's really, really good. You think about where these birds live. Holy cow! Well, you get these drought cycles and stuff. There's some years that the birds might say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna nest this year. They have very low numbers of eggs, six to eight, and so, we don't have a whole lot of re-nesting because they're, they're really so tied in into the green. 
After arriving near the Anakwi, we picked up one of Mesmer's current students. Um, Melissa Shelak, student, USU. Melissa has been tracking the birds for the last few years as part of her PhD studies. So your field season is from when to when, Melissa? So it starts in towards the beginning of March and it goes to whenever um, some of our last females with chicks reach 50 days post-hatch and usually that's around the end of July for me. So it just finished actually last week. Oh. So but I'm still out here getting some mortalities and getting some other locations. We can go straight. As we barreled down a very bumpy BLM road out there in the West Desert Range, uh, Melissa explained to us how she is able to catch the birds and get them radio collared. The process involves two people going out at night on an ATV. You'll have one person who's the spotter and they're shining a light to find the birds and then also that light will stun the birds once they're caught in the beam of light, at which point the second person, a netter, catches them with a net. <laughs> Uh, after that, they're able to collar these birds, and depending on what they're doing at the time, they either release them or they might transfer them to another lek that could be hours away. So all in all, these make for pretty long, grueling nights. <laughs> it's a very active form of trapping, <laughs> to say the least. But Do sage grouse, do they squawk? Um, they don't really squawk. Uh, a lot of the ones that I've caught, they're kind of silent, but the males every once in a while will have this really nasally, bubbly sound. I don't even know how to mimic it or describe it really. But, but, they, but they do have different personalities. They do. There are some females you will capture and they will try to kill you. <laughs> no, I mean, really, they, they'll, they'll any, anything open, they will pick at, they will scratch at, they will, and, and so, I mean, we've had some females, we've, attempted capture three or four times and lost a lot of feathers, but they are so angry. We can't stress enough, sage grouse are very picky eaters and their diet is uniquely adapted to their sagebrush range habitat. So, during the spring, um, after a chick is hatched, for those first couple weeks, they're gonna eat mostly insects, providing the most nutrients. Then they'll transition a little bit more to forbs. Still a lot of nutrients. That's why they kind of go for those greener areas. Um, and then as they get older, they'll transition um, to sagebrush. And most of the birds will transition to sagebrush in the fall, like late summer, fall. And throughout the fall and, and winter, that's what they'll, that's the only thing they'll eat is sagebrush. And, and the forbs are critical for the bugs. And there's studies that have done where they've deprived sage grouse chicks of the bugs and for 10 days and they've died. Wow. These types of green foods, what Terry calls green groceries, um, they're hard to find. They are also the stuff that the horses out there like to eat. This is where the real conflict comes in. And so the, the issue with the horses is that the habitat projects are really, really good and they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do, but we can control livestock grazing on it, but we can't control horse access to it. And so if there's areas that are these 
mesic sites or wet sites or riparian areas that are also being really, really productive, those are areas that the horses will tend to be drawn to and they will camp out and they will, they'll just spend all their time there. And, and where livestock will, will move in, water, and then they'll go out and they may graze seven, eight miles and they'll come back to water. Horses will use that area around that uh, watering site uh, in a different pattern. And so that's where the, the impacts can come in. So what happened this year with your nest and brood success? Okay, so in 2016, okay, so the first year we have about 46 birds marked. Of those 46, we find only five nests. They've only initiated five nests, so not very many. Um, the second year we get 40 more birds and seven more from the resident population, so closer to 100 now. Um, we have eight nests. Um, and this year, again, add another 40, and then some six or eight, so well over 100. We have 17 nest initiations that we confirmed. Um, and of those 17 nests, 14 hatched out, so Ooh. only three... <laughs> yes. <laughs> only three were depredated, which is amazing. All that is to say, this population in the Sheep Rocks is finally on the up and up. Um, Terry said it's the only sage-grass population in Utah that actually increased this year. Which is why it's even more urgent to make sure horses and other animals aren't trampling that habitat. Finally, after being on the road for many, many hours, we arrived in the field and began our quest to find both wild horses and sage-grouse. It was very windy and one of the only days that threatened rain this entire summer, I think. Just our luck. Yeah. Way those rain clouds are coming. I think they're they're moving pretty slow. Looks like there Probably. might be rain down there. Yeah. Because Melissa had radio collared some sage grouse, we knew we'd go. We definitely get to see those. Yes. Because they were radio collared. If we could reach them, we weren't <laughs> sure if we'd see any horses though, but we actually spotted some pretty quick. Ben spotted them. I got a ride in the back of the ATV where I had a good view and a lot of dust. <laughs> They look like regular horses. Exactly. <laughs> Just a little scruffy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're pretty big though. Like in comparison to the other horses that will s that you can see down the Pony Express. They're pretty big looking. They're not as skinny as I thought they would be. These ones have a lot of good forage. The ones down the Pony Express, they look really mangy and terrible. Because all they have is cheap grass. Mm. There's no nutrients in that stuff. But they can live off of pretty crappy food. Nice. Oh, oh, they're bucking, they're, they're bucking! Oh. Yeah. Hurry, get a picture! I know. <laughs>
Ben did get photos of the horses. Um, not, anyway. not the bucking photo. I was <laughs> changing a lens. We will post them online so you can see them. But they were like, what was there? Four or five of them? I believe there were five horses, all black. All black. Mm-hmm. We were, yeah, going along a a hill, a bit of a road, and down in this small valley below us, there were these five horses slowly working their way out of the valley. Usually, the horses that are most frequently adopted are those like under 14 hands. You know, they don't, people don't like the really big ones. They like the kind of medium-sized ones and stuff. And so they also like the blacks. You know, the dark colors, the solid colors, that and also the paints yeah. are, are pretty popular. But, uh, you know, they went back in a few years ago and analyzed preferences. Or they did a survey and, you know, clearly there's trans younger horses, uh, smaller horses that in the, in the either the paints or the or the solid colors particularly the blacks they like so these horses here would be probably fairly desirable did you hear that horses yeah, got a chance they're kind of happy where they're at <laughs> but there is something missing you know you don't see any foals no yeah. you ready to sing the rolling stones then I feel like you do better on the singing on these podcasts. <laughs> wild, wild horses. We'll ride them someday. <laughs> Take off running like in a Kanye West video. <laughs> like that, that's your reference for running horses. <laughs> well, we found the horses pretty fast, but the sage grouse proved a lot more difficult to find. Uh, Melissa was a great guide, though. We rolled all over the range in this ATV until she got a better signal. Uh, up the mountain. Yeah trying to get a signal off of Melissa's radio, so I had a big uh, telemetry antenna. Several foot arm with smaller arms coming out the size that she could point in the direction to get some beeps. Radio collar signals. Uh-huh, the stronger the beeps, the uh, closer we were to being pointed in the right direction of the birds. We walked and we walked and we walked and we walked. And what's the prognosis? Um, they're on that hill, but I don't know whether it's the upper half or the lower half. Okay. So it'll be a hike if we want to go. Well, let's take a little hike. Okay, sounds good. And hiked and hiked and hiked. Oh, I got a cactus. Did you? Yeah, I'm right though. Oh no. I just gave it a love tap. <laughs> and finally. As we were overlooking one small valley, we flushed out a male. What was that male first, first one? A male first, and then a little later, two females. Yep. We did not get a good look at them. We did not. They, they're quite fast. They're fast, they and they are very much uh, flying species. 
camouflaged as well. Oh yeah, that's true. After our sage grouse sightings, we started making our way back to the ATV and back down the mountain to the car as well. We kept an eye out for the horses, but at this point they were nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. I saw them like three times, but they all ended up being black cows. With this landscape, you know, and I don't know, there's probably other bands up in here. Wait, no. Is that them? Are they there? No. Mm, oh no, it's a tree. <laughs> Never mind. A tree looks like a horse head. And yeah. not horses. Or a tree. Yeah. So made it back to the car and started our long trip back home. I don't know about you, Ben, but I sure learned a lot working on this episode. Things I had never considered before. Yeah, horses are always one of those things that, like, I know they're out there. It's very strange for me to look at these, having looked at a lot of things that are treated like wildlife and a lot of animals that are treated like livestock and it's odd to me that we treat this animal this specific animal so specially and almost so like reverently um it's not from here it's not living lightly on the land per se Hmm. we used to i mean thousands of years ago but still we used to eat them Hmm. we used to turn them into dog food and now and there are still people around the world who eat them who eat them or, and use them for dog food. In fact, Terry was telling me that a lot of zoos still get them from Canada mm-hmm. and use them to feed their, you know, their lions and their tigers. So I don't know what happened. What happened to it? It's like why did why did our attitude about horses change and why did it persist? Who knows? I wish I had an <laughs> answer there. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people wish they had answers. Know. I've definitely been rolling that thought through my head a, a lot. Mm-hmm. It's just so interesting for me to see, I think especially out there when the horses that we saw were actually very close to some cattle, and we mistook one for the other a couple times because it happened to be a lot of black cattle and we only saw black horses. And yeah, that's They the have such a similar history, but they are treated in completely totally different, different ways. ways. Well, and that's the other thing, seeing them like... I was so excited to see a wild horse, but I have to say it was pretty anticlimactic. I mean, mm-hmm. they just look like a horse. Yeah. I I had the same feeling there, but then also since I, like, we recorded this a week or two ago that we were out there, and then the time since, it's also been like, I got to see wild horses. It was cool. Looking back on it, it's almost cooler than the time at the moment. Yeah. And it's also interesting to compare to other but if, really? I, if I just saw them on the range, I wouldn't have necessarily... I'd have been like, oh, somebody's horses are out there. Right. You know what I mean? It's also interesting to compare to other sort of beloved symbols of the West. You know, you know a bison or a moose. You see a moose, it's pretty amazing to see. And we're still also they... generally okay hunting those moose mm, while true. they're still their big mountain icons. <laughs> so are you going to adopt a horse? Is that your take I do away not from have this? room. I do not have room for a horse. I barely have room for the cats. All right. Yeah, well... Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, the clips we had today, we had The Misfits. The Misfits. The other clips you were hearing were coming from historicfilms.com. Yep. So also check out standard.net and check us out on Facebook and Twitter. And we will have photos from our trip out there, both of the horses and some of the landscape, as well as Melissa and Terry. What about sage grouse? Did you get a photo of the sage grouse? No, not really. We'll include some of those as well. Yeah, until next time. Thank you, everyone. This has been Outstanding in a Field. I'm Leah Larson. Benjamin Zach. Bye.